we are continuing our sermon series, Experiencing God, and it's been a, a journey for us as a church, and if you're new this morning, uh, we want to welcome you to the journey, and we're going to help you get caught up uh, this morning, and uh, really, this sermon series is built upon the reality that uh, we as Christians um, should desire, should want to experience God. It's part of the reason why we're here at church, right? Uh, but experiencing God and having a relationship with God is not something that uh, is just a one-time affair. When we come on Sunday, we come to church, we worship, we hear a word, we check the box, and then we leave. But rather, experiencing God is something that, that God wants us to be in relationship with Him all the time. And He wants us to be mindful of Him and His activity all the time. And so this journey, this, this uh, series has been a, really a foundational series actually for our church. Uh, we go through this series about every four years because the, the principles that we wrestle with and the realities that we wrestle with week in, week out, um, really are, are, are foundational for us in, in an abiding relationship with Jesus. And so how do we hear from Him? How do we experience Him? And there's these realities we've been working through week after week. Reality number one is this idea that God is always at work around you. Uh, that he, the Bible says that, that God is at work and that Jesus says, my father is at work even to this day and I join him in what he's doing. And so for us as Christians, believing that, that God is at work, even when we go through difficulty, even when things aren't blessed, even when things aren't good, we just saying of the goodness of God, a willingness to say, even in the midst of trial, God's still at work. God's doing something. Even man don't understand it, see it, feel it. God is at work. Reality number two, that God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. God does not desire to be unknown. He desires to be known and be in relationship with you. And he's pursuing you. Uh, God, uh, reality number three, God invites you to become involved in his work. God has always been a God that looks and creates, but then looks for partners on earth to partner with his endeavors, to partner with his mission, to partner with what he's about. Um, Joe already kind of celebrated it in regards to Oktoberfest, you know, the, the reality of, of us just handing out water. Handing out water at an event is part of his work. And here's how that plays out. I just want to tell you this quick story from yesterday. Uh, lots of people coming, lots of conversation. People are even here this morning because they got water yesterday, okay, that are new. But one of the things that came out, uh, came about yesterday in a conversation is that there was a pastor in downtown Meridian who was walking the event. Um, I'm guessing he's walking the event to kind of see what it was like, kind of see what was going on. And he saw us there. And he came up to us and he, and he said, I'm a pastor of another church here in downtown Meridian. And I just want to say thank you for doing what you're doing. And then he said something really important. He said, we never thought about doing something like this. Now, I'm just guessing they're going to be there next year handing out water. <laughs> and praise God for that, right? Because there needs to be more churches at Oktoberfest handing out water. And just being in a relationship and enjoying the atmosphere and enjoying the things that were going on. And God invites you to partner in his work. And when you do that, of being a disciple who wants to make disciples, you also inspire churches to be the church. So God invites you. He wants to partner with you. And the way he does that is by speaking by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances in the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. Last week we talked about reality number five. And then when God invites you into the work, the work with him, it always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. It's always like, would, does God, God, are you really inviting me into this? Are you really, do you really love me unconditionally? 
And, and, and am I really supposed to surrender all that I have and get baptized into you? Am I really supposed to trust Christians and get connected in a relationship? Am I really supposed to go and help with the people that are dealing with Florida and the hurricane, Ian? Am I really supposed to go over there and support and love those people and help rebuild? God, are you really calling? There's always a crisis of belief when God speaks to us where we go, man, am I, am I supposed to do that? Is that really? And we, oftentimes we line up all the excuses, don't we? As to why God wouldn't want me to do that or how it couldn't work or, or whatever the case may be. Today we're going to be talking about something that I would call um, turning points or critical turning points. Um, and the critical turning points... Um, oftentimes, we, we aren't willing to make those critical turning points. Um, but in life, we have to make the critical turning points because they're coming. I just reflect on my own life and growing up. Like, uh, growing up, there was a critical turning point. I'm in the process of navigating it with my son of going from, from 11, 12 to 13 years old. That was a big critical turning point growing up, right? Um, and I'm helping him navigate that right now. There was a big critical turning point for me when I decided to propose to my wife and to get married. Like life changes, right? When you get married, it's like, oh my goodness, like I can't leave this place. Like I'm married to you, right? <laughs> I, I have to make changes. This is a critical turning point. Um, and, and marriage becomes something that's just all sorts of different seasons, right? But, the, but a big major season and a critical turning point is when the kids leave. And you look around and you go, well, it's just you and I again. And I still can't leave, right? <laughs> Empty nesting is like a critical turning point. And then becoming a grandparent. Like... There's a new role change. There's a new responsibility. It's, it's a critical turning point. And, and the thing of it is, is, this is how life works. But I would argue that when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, that there's critical turning points. There's these critical turning points where God comes and he speaks and the crisis of belief comes in. But not only as the crisis of belief comes in, Jesus is asking us to make major adjustments. It's, it's the reality of like not only salvation of like, okay, I, I, I'm accepting Jesus' salvation into my life, but also the reality that, that Jesus is Lord of my life and he's Lord of all of my life for the entirety of my life. So he begins to speak and he invites us into things and we have to make these critical turning points, these critical adjustments, these critical changes. And that never goes away as we walk with Jesus. And it brings us to reality number six of how we experience God. It's the reality that you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. You must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 is one of my favorite chapters in the Gospels. And the reason why is because in Matthew chapter 16, uh, you guys all know Peter. Everybody say Peter. Peter 
is, is bold and he's courageous and he declares things and he says things. And Jesus seems to really spend a lot of time with him, but he's also stubborn and kind of puts his foot in his mouth at times. But in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asks the question, Jesus, or he asks his disciples, who do they say that I am? And Jesus says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are right, Peter. This is the first time that someone has declared that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's Lord, that he's king. And he goes on to say, on this rock, on this confession, on this statement, I will build my, would say, I will build my, and the gates of, will not overcome it. And it's just this amazing declaration that Jesus' church moves, and Jesus' church is obedient, Jesus' church goes against the gates of hell and prevails. And it's this moment where Peter is like, yeah, good job, Peter. And Jesus is like, yeah, good job, Peter. And like the church, let's go. And then the second half of Matthew chapter 16 hits. Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And then he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, I'm just going to stop right there. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I'm just going to throw this out there. If you decide to rebuke Jesus, it's probably not going to go well for you. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> Not something that I read and go, I should model that behavior. Never, Lord, he said. Peter says to Jesus, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That escalated really quickly, right? Okay. And then he says, you are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. I think that it's fascinating that in the first part of chapter 16, Peter shines so brilliantly, brightly, in confessing and acknowledging who Jesus is. And Jesus sets forth the mission of the church. I'm going to build my church on this confession that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And yet... The second half of the chapter, Peter's not in the greatest place mentally, emotionally, about what's going on with Jesus. I think that we can learn from Peter that we can have parts of our lives fully surrendered to Jesus. Parts that we, we've said, I've given this over to Jesus. And then we can have other parts of our lives, other thoughts about what Jesus is up to, other things that Jesus says to us that we go, mm, no, I'm good, Jesus. Anybody relate to that this morning? That there can be parts of your lives that you have fully surrendered, and then other parts you go, ah, you're still wrestling with the crisis of belief. You're still wrestling with, did Jesus really say that? Let me give you an example just of, of things that are often said that kind of show this reality that we can have parts of our lives surrendered and other parts of our lives not surrendered. My time is super valuable. And you may not say this out loud, but it's the inner dialogue that goes on inside your head. My time is super valuable. And I know they need my help. So I'll just give financially. 
Or maybe it's the flip side. I don't have a lot of resources, but I do have my time, so I'll just give my time. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but I would argue this. You aren't fully surrendered because Jesus owns it all. The time, the finances, all of you. Is it fully surrendered? All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, love the Lord your God. And as you look at Jesus' words, I don't know about you, but when I first read it, I kind of go, man, that's kind of harsh. Anybody else read that? I mean, he called him Satan, right? But I would just argue this, that sometimes those harsh words are what we need. Done gently, which I don't really know the tone of get behind me, Satan, that Jesus gave. I don't know if that was gentle or harsh. But I have to believe that it might have even been something that maybe just Jesus whispered in his ear. As he said it gently. I think Jesus is very patient with us in learning to be fully surrendered, but is quick to point out the truth where we are wrong and where we need to adjust. I think he's patient with us. He could have kicked Peter out of the group of disciples, but he didn't. He just spoke truth to him, even though it was harsh. Proverbs 25, 15 says, Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. A gentle tongue can break a bone. Have you ever had someone speak to you in a direct way that maybe felt harsh, but what was done in gentleness and it just pierced your very soul. Have you ever experienced that before? And if you haven't, I would argue you are missing something in Jesus' church if you don't have that type of relationship. And you go, well, that's uncomfortable. You are correct. It is uncomfortable. But the reality is, is that we as disciples of Jesus are not meant to live in isolation. We're meant to be in community and relationship like Jesus was with Peter, where Jesus was able to call out to Peter a change that he needed to make in order to join what God was about to do. Peter had to make an adjustment, a major adjustment, how he was seeing things and how he was viewing things and what was going on in his mind and in his heart. And the reality is that Jesus speaks this type of word to Peter for the betterment of Peter and for his church and for his kingdom. Do you have that in your life? And if you don't, there's no better place than in a home group to begin to experience that. Now, I've never heard anybody at home group at Real Life say, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> but I have heard stories of marriages that were on the brink of divorce not become a divorced family. Because there were people that loved each other and spoke the truth in love in the midst of great difficulty. Why? Because they were fighting for Jesus and his kingdom in their hearts. I'll never forget uh, when I was 20 years old. You know, when you're 20 years old and you begin to have um, a fire for Jesus and his kingdom and his church. At 20 years old, uh, your hair gets set on fire and you think you're going to change the world. And at 20 years old, that's where I was at. And I was a youth pastor. And I was trying to help our youth ministry make changes. 
at the church that I was working at the time. And they weren't really willing to follow and make the changes that I was suggesting. And so I sat down with a mentor of mine and, and I talked about how the whole youth team was the problem. And he listened to me for about a half hour. And do you remember that scene in Remember the Titans when the two captains are kind of arguing about changes and people not doing their job, all those things. And then the guy says to him, attitude reflects leadership, captain. You remember that scene? That's kind of how the conversation went with my mentor, Aaron Couch, where he said, maybe the problem is you and your attitude and how you're leading. Let's just say the ride home from that coffee shop meeting was really quiet the rest of the way. But if it weren't his willingness to, to share the truth and, talk to, and have him talk to me about the adjustments I needed to make, it never would have changed the trajectory of my life with Jesus. The trajectory of my life and my leadership with Jesus from that moment changed. Because I walked away from that coffee meeting so angry at Aaron Couch because I didn't like what he had to say but he was also, it was the truth. It was the truth. And so Jesus invites us into a relationship for us to make major adjustments to be about what he's up to, what his kingdom is about. And it reminds me at the end of verse 23, do you notice what he says? He says, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. It reminds me of Isaiah. Look at Isaiah chapter 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and, for, and bread for the eater, so is my, what's that say? So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, God says. He says, my ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, but when I speak my word, when my truth goes out, it will not, it's some of the older translations, it will not return void. God's word, his truth that he's speaking into your life, it will not return void. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Doesn't this sound familiar to what Jesus said? Your thoughts, the things you're concerned about, they're human. They're not my concerns, my ways, my values. Then he says this in verse 24, Jesus Chapter 16, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What does this mean? Let me just break this down for you. Denying ourselves, denying ourselves is the first step of faith, you guys. When you first accept Jesus, it's a denial of self. That I can't do any good on my own. The only good that has been, that I can do is actually been given to me by Jesus. That he came and he died for me. That my sins are forgiven because of the grace and salvation that he's given me. Guess what? That is the first step of recognizing faith. That at the rest of my life, 
I'm in the process of denying myself. The things that I think, my ways, my thoughts, I'm going to deny myself. That's faith. It's a mindset. It's a belief. But as we talked about last week, it's not just belief. It's not just mental assent. The proof that I actually believe is that I actually take actions, that I actually take steps. For example, all of you are sitting in a chair right now. And if you were to stand up, in fact, why don't we all stand up? Stand up right now. Perfect. Everybody say, I have faith. That the chair chair. will hold me up. And if I were to say to you, prove it, what would you do? Go ahead. (laughs) Nikki, you're still standing up. (laughs) When did you show faith? When you sat down in that chair, you took action. And for a lot of us, we say, well, I believe Jesus says this, and I'm going to make adjustments into my life. And then God goes, make the adjustment. And you go, I don't want to. Faith is tied to action. It's when you choose to sit in that chair. It's when you come to a red light. You come to a red light. And then you see a green light. And you are having faith that everybody else is going to what? Stop. Even people that say, well, I'm an atheist. I go, you're not an atheist because you walk in faith all the time. The question is, what is your faith in? And faith requires obedience. It requires action. It requires steps. And this action means we have to make adjustments. We have to walk in obedience because Jesus says, my ways are not your ways. And you've got to deny yourself. And that's not just a one-time thing. That's a continual walking with Jesus. I love how Henry Blackaby puts it this way. God's revelation is your invitation to adjust your life to him. Your life to him. And so when God speaks, he's inviting you to adjust what you are doing to what he is doing. Faith and obedience requires adjustments. You cannot stay where you are and go with God at the same time. You cannot stay where you are and go with God at the same time. Let's just take a look at the scripture. Is that true? Noah could could not continue life as usual and build an ark. He had to make adjustments. Abram could not stay in Ur or Haran and father a nation in Canaan. Moses could not stay in the back of the desert herding sheep and stand before Pharaoh in Egypt. David had to leave his sheep to become king. Ruth had to leave her homeland to support her mother-in-law. Jonah had to leave his hometown and overcome major prejudice to preach to Nineveh. Nineveh? Can anything good come from Nineveh? Peter, Andrew, James, and John had to leave their fishing business to follow Jesus. Here's my question to you. Is God speaking to you? And what is he saying to you? And what adjustments are necessary for you to follow in obedience to Jesus today? Because our comfort zone is not where Jesus is calling us to. It's not what he's calling us to. He's calling us to his work. And so where's, where's Jesus sending you? Where is Jesus sending you? And I love that we are launching our home groups today, and we're launching a new home group today. 
and I'm asking that question. Because these amazing people that sit on this stage are the people that raised their hand and said, Jesus, you're at work, and I want to join you in what you're doing. Send me into this community. Send me into this community. And I love that this morning, as we're getting ready and talking about announcements, Jenny Florendo, our children's pastor, comes to me and says, there's more home groups in Boise now than there is in Meridian. What do you think about that? I'm like, well, I don't live in Meridian anymore, so I'm good with it. But the mindset for her is like, we've got groups growing in Boise. Guess what? We need groups growing in Meridian, in Kuna, and in Nampa. Where's God sending you? What's he calling you to? You must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. I just want to tell you a personal story of what God's doing in my life right now and the major adjustments that I have to make right now. I'm in the process of, I uh, just turned 38 years old and uh, doing my annual physical and the doctor is telling me I've got to get better physically. Anybody else relate to that this morning? So here's the real reality for me. If I'm going to love the Lord you God, love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. Corinthians says that my body is a temple. And I only get one of them. I don't get two. I get one. The Bible says that it is I that have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I have to steward this thing well. If I want to make the biggest impact for the kingdom of God and to live a long, full life. So here's the major adjustment for me. 5 a.m. is a non-negotiable for me moving forward. And my doctor told me 150 minutes of cardio a week is a non-negotiable for me moving forward. That's a lot of cardio. And it's going to be hard, right? 5 a.m. every single day, that's going to be hard. 150 minutes of cardio, that's going to be hard. But I have to make the adjustment for the sake of God's glory and his church and being able to walk beside my family and love my family. Amen? I have to do it. I don't have a choice. I can choose my heart now or later. What is Jesus calling on you to do so that you can be most effective for his church and his kingdom and his glory? All of us have to make major adjustments. And some of us may not be willing to join God in what he's doing because you aren't willing to make the necessary adjustments now. What is he calling on you to do now? What do you have to say no to so you can say yes to Jesus? I want you to notice at the end of Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. Jesus says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what they have done. You know, I can't wait for that day, you guys, for Jesus to come. I love what Nathan prayed this morning. No more pain, no more fear. We have to recognize in this reality that obedience requires adjustments to experience God, but obedience is also a requirement if we want to be rewarded in heaven. You might be saying, what do you mean rewarded in heaven? Do you realize that your salvation is given to you freely by the blood and, and sacrifice of Jesus, but that every single one of us are going to end our life 
At the end, when Jesus comes and he's going to ask us to give an account for everything that we've done and we will be rewarded for the things that we have done. We won't get in for what we've done. Does that make sense this morning? We don't get in for what we've done. We get in because of what Jesus has done. However, he's going to say, what life did you live? What foundation did you build upon? Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians that Jesus is the foundation and that we get to build on the, on the foundation. We get to build on the foundation. And he says in that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that some of us will build with gold, some with silver, some with precious stones, some with wood, some will build with hay. And it will be refined by fire. And so for us this morning, we have to ask ourselves, what are we building our life on? What adjustments are we willing to make for the kingdom of God? And are we willing to listen to the truth that God gives us? And are we willing to make adjustments even when we hear it and we go, I don't like that. But Jesus is calling us to his, his eternity, his kingdom. And so what adjustments do you need to make this morning? Some couple take-home points as we wrap up. First one is this. When God speaks to me to reveal what he is about to do, that revelation is my invitation to adjust my life to him. I cannot stay where I am and go with God. Adjustments prepare me for obedience. You cannot know and do God's will without paying the price of adjustment and obedience. It requires every single one of us to begin to make changes and to begin to say yes to certain things and no to certain things because Jesus is Lord over all of our life. And all that we have is to be committed and surrendered to him. And with that being said, um, as difficult and as hard that is at times to make adjustments for what Jesus wants for us, and in the process of, of working through the comfort zone into the grown zone to the other side where we actually begin to grow with Jesus, here's what I found over and over and over again. Is that when I'm willing to surrender myself to that process, when I'm willing to surrender myself to Jesus' truth in my life, it's usually uncomfortable, not fun. But then when I get to the other side, I begin to realize how good God's ways are. I begin to realize that this, where I'm at now, is way better than anything else I could have come up on my own. And usually, it leads me to worship Jesus. Usually, it leads me to, I should have done this a long time ago. I should have surrendered a long time ago. And Jesus is so kind to us because oftentimes what next happens is the enemy comes in and says, yeah, what's wrong with you? And shame and guilt takes over. But Jesus is quick to say, no, 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 no. This is the plan I've had for you all along. I knew about this process for you all along. I knew it before I even made you, before I knit you together in my mother's, in your mother's womb. And I love you. And this is the process that I've had you go through. And what you've learned, I now want you to pass it on to somebody else. I want you to make disciples who make disciples.
the gospel begins to reign true in our lives, that Jesus' goodness always prevails as we begin to make adjustments and join him in what he's doing. So as we get ready for communion this morning, as we take time and have a meal with Jesus, if you came this morning and you weren't prepared, you didn't think about taking communion, you didn't grab communion on your way in, but you want to take it this morning, these fine ladies here would be more than willing to pass communion to you. Just raise your hand and they'll be sure to offer the elements to you. But as we get ready to take communion like we do every single week here at Real Life, the question I want you to wrestle with with Jesus is, what adjustments, Jesus, do you want me to make? What changes do you want me to make? And I want to invite you just to begin to pray the prayer, God, give me the strength to surrender all of my heart and life and will to you. And maybe you've been on that journey for a while and you keep failing over and over again. Let me just tell you, Jesus is quick to forgive. He's quick to reconcile. But I'd love for you to have a conversation with Jesus today, wherever you're at, on what adjustments does God want you to take in your walk with him? And are you willing to surrender those? Have a conversation with Jesus this morning about that.